The San Francisco Dance Film Festival presents Dancing Through the Lens, a bi-monthly podcast featuring guests from our dance and filmmaking communities who share their interests, insights, and methods of creation and connection. I'm Claire Schweitzer. La Mezcla is a polyrhythmic San Francisco-based dance and music ensemble rooted in Chicana, Latina, and indigenous traditions and social justice. Its founder, Vanessa Sanchez, spoke with me about the process of developing the company's latest work, Ghostly Labor, a film and soon-to-be dance theater piece that explores the history of labor in the U.S.-Mexico borderlands. We spoke about the extensive research and development of the work, rhythmic crafting and hybridization, and capturing clean sound when you're surrounded by traffic and farm equipment. Vanessa Sanchez, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's actually jump right into Ghostly Labor, which is going to be screening um, live and in person at the San Francisco Dance Film Festival this fall. So actually, um, let's talk about the title, Ghostly Labor. Now, where did that come from and how did you settle on that as a title for the work? So when we're looking at ghostly labor, we're, the work is is rooted in the history of labor in the U.S.-Mexico borderlands, right? And there's a lot that goes with it. Um, and we're looking, you know, at hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years going all the way back to, to colonization and, and indigenous work um, through today. And so one of the biggest things in, in looking at that work is, um, you know, we're looking at at labor that is often unseen, labor that is often underpaid, labor that is essentially the backbone of our society, but for years has been done by um, enslaved indigenous people, enslaved people who were brought to this country against their will. And, and through today, the work continues to be unrecognized, you know? So we're looking at, at domestic work. We're working at farm labor. We're, lo- we're looking at factory work. We're looking at who literally built all of the buildings and spaces that we are in. Um, and so with that, we're, we're looking at the ancestors that have done that work and the people that continue to do it. And throughout that time, it's been ghostly. It's been a little bit unseen, right? The, the, this sense of ghosts, which isn't always negative, right? Ghosts and spirits and ancestors live amongst us and within us, um, give us strength, right? We feel their presence, but we don't always see them. And, and essentially, that, that is, has been one of the biggest issues with this, this work that has been done for generations and generations. You see... The profits, you know, the corporations see the profits of it. Society lives off of it, but we don't actually look at the people doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so often it gets labeled as unskilled work. But for anyone who's ever had to, I mean, anyone who has ever had to keep a plant alive knows that that requires incredible skill. And that skill that's often undervalued for a lot of these workers. Yeah, it's all of this work, domestic work, farm work, building, it's all skilled labor. You know, it takes, everything has a way of getting done. It takes practice, right? It takes practice. It takes years of practice. And especially when we're looking at farm workers, you know, not only does it take skill, it takes endurance. It takes, you know, physical endurance to do the work. And, you know, it was really interesting um, when we were conducting interviews for the project, a lot of the skill is generational, you know, and a lot of it is passed on from generation to generation. And that, you know, that goes beyond skill. You know, that is that is a, 
a knowledge that really at a certain point can't be taught, right? It's, it's a type of knowledge you have to grow up with. It's a type of knowledge you have to live. And, um, you know, through this work, we want that. We want people to know that. We want people to see that. We want people to not only see the people doing the work, but the years and years and years and generations that went into um, being able to do it in the way that it's done. Something interesting about this film is that you spent over a year developing relationships with the workers that we see in the film. And can you elaborate on how this connection was initially made and how their stories influenced the development of the film? When we started developing the project, we knew it had to be rooted in real stories. We had to use real narratives. We had to use real people's voices. And it had to be done in a respectful community way. In order to develop these relationships to a place where we were not just repeating colonization and showing up and saying, we're interviewing you, we're doing this film, learn from us, right? You know, specifically looking at this film, it was a process of um, doing outreach. I connected with an organization in Half Moon Bay called ALAS, Ayudando Latinos a Soñar, which is an amazing organization that supports the farm working community um, along the coast of Northern California and Half Moon Bay and the surrounding regions. Reaching out to their executive artistic director, um, I call her, she's executive director, but she really incorporates the arts in a very specific way into the programming. So I think it's important to acknowledge her artistic side as well. Connecting with her, discussing this project, going out to Half Moon Bay to meet with her, seeing the space. From there, it turned into volunteering. It turned into going with them to deliver lunches on the farms, going with them to deliver donations, just being in the space and talking with the people, talking with the people who make Alas run, right? The people who actually work in the organization, connecting with the farm workers who are on the land and talking about what they're doing, talking about what they need, you know? It was never just, I'm going to show up and ask you our questions, but like, let's actually learn about these people. Let's actually learn about the community and connect with them um, in a meaningful way. And they have an they have something called Farm Worker Fridays, where on Fridays they deliver lunches during the lunch hour to the farm workers around the region. Um, and it's sponsored mm-hmm. by different um, businesses and, and people every week. You know, one day I went to volunteer and they said, hey, we have a tariba in the trunk. Can we set it up and can you dance during the lunch break? You know, so then I started getting invited oh, to wow. do that on the space. And so, you know, I went up and, and while the farm workers were having their, their sandwiches, spoke a little bit about um, Sapte al Jarocho. Uh, and it was just me on a tarima, and it was a really amazing experience to just give a short two-minute performance, you know, impromptu, improvised, um, and talk about the history a little bit, talk about my connection to it, my family, my my uh, grandparents being from there, and, and um, you know, getting to share that with them. And so from there, it just continued to grow. And, you know, the community started to know who I was, and in that space, I then wanted to start having the community know the company, right? Start start to get us engaged intentionally with, with volunteering. And so we started a series of donation drives for um, for goods that they needed. You know, with winter coming up, it was like, we need jackets, we need blankets, we need all these necessities um, to distribute throughout the area. La Mescla started sponsoring lunches and we were invited to bring um, some additional dancers and do a couple of performances on different farms throughout the area. And so uh, I was able to bring two other tap dancers and we took our tap boards onto the farm and during lunch break did a a quick um, history of tap dance. Um, 
And then a short dance performance. And we went to a couple of different farms with the same little performance. Um, now, this is many farms, right? It's not just two farms, three farms. It's many farms in the area. Um, we were able to connect with a farm worker named Serafine Avila, who we talked to about our project, was really interested in the project. Um, and he actually, he, he, oh, he rents his farm. He has his own land, right? And that was very, that's very rare in the region for... Um, a farm worker to become a farmer, right? He he rents the land, and now him his him and his family cultivate the land. They sell what they produce in farm um, farmers markets, and he actually then invited us to film our project on their land, right? So that was the process. All of this happened in a way where we were invited to the space. Um, from there, we asked if we could include them in the project and do some interviews and. They were happy to do it. We extended, you know, we asked a couple of other farm workers that we had met throughout the process if we we could interview them for the project. And, and you know, everyone that we spoke to was really happy to have a platform to share their story, to share their history, to share their family, to share their work and to be seen, right? Have their work be seen in a different way on a different platform. I, I really like to think of the the indigenous tradition of storytelling, right? And how, how things are passed on. It's not always in a book. It's not always like, you know, something you formally learn through, you know, what Western um, culture calls, you know, a formal setting. But this is, this is how things are passed on. And using everything they said to develop the work, right? The song at the beginning of the film is um, based on a traditional son harucho called Alcamotal. Alcamotal is sweet potato farm. The traditional son has verses that talk about nature. It talks about farming. It talks about different kinds of plants, right? And so I knew I wanted to connect that traditional son to our project. I work with a maestra in, in Veracruz. She's my mentor. She's been my teacher for years. She's, I'm her student for life. Um, and so she's also an amazing songwriter, composer. So I, I had a series of meetings with her talking about the project, and I asked her if she can write us original verses for Alcamotal based on the interviews. So I sent her all the interview footage. She developed this, this song, the verses for this song, Alcamotal Manos Que Nos Dan, hands, hands that, you know, hands that are giving, hands that give us. Though their words are directly in the song. Right. The things that they're talking about, the essence of the work is directly in the song. Everything else from the choreography to the actual rhythms, um, you know, it wasn't a linear process, but it is a, a process of listening to the interviews, hearing their words and then hearing a rhythm attached to it. You know, this is the bass rhythm for this song. It also went into like, OK, they're talking about um, specifically the process of uh there is a period of time between the harvests where the land is still being worked with, although it's not developing crops, right? And so when we filmed the um, the film, that's what was happening, right? It wasn't the peak season. It was, you know, things had been picked and they were revitalizing the land. I can't think of the specific word they used, but they were revitalizing the land for the next harvest, right? And so with that, uh, director John Leonios had this idea of like, during this one piece, we need to acknowledge that we're revitalizing the land, right? So it, 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 it led, you know, the film work, it led the actual use of the land. Everything that they said went into every element of the film and the, um, choreography, rhythms, and, and music behind it. So um, our audience has have actually already seen La Mezcla as we screened the KQED doc um, in our program two years ago. And so 
we may already know that La Mezcla incorporates lots of different styles of dance into the work. Um, that includes, but is not limited to, tap dancing, zapateado jarocho, um, Afro-Caribbean indig and indigenous traditions. And we see these styles emerge and also hybridize in very interesting ways throughout the film. You already alluded to this, but how did you develop the movement and rhythmic language to communicate the themes of each section? So in developing this work, um, it was really important to incorporate all of these different dance forms and all the different rhythms you hear, which I'll talk about in, the sec in a second, um, as a way to acknowledge the various cultural traditions of people that have fed us, worked for us, you know, provided the ghostly labor for generations and through today, you know? And so it was really important to um, intentionally incorporate Af Afro-Caribbean movement, both on its own and also incorporated with the tap and the sapateado. It, it was really important to incorporate different rhythms. Um, one of the, the elements in El Camotal that is um, a little different than its traditional version. Traditionally, son jarocho, when we're talking about the music, is is played on um, a variety of stringed instruments, right? So you have a harana, um, different sizes of haranas, a leona, um, these different instruments, right, that that are making up the the music. But with this piece of, of El Camotal, we really wanted to incorporate um, and acknowledge the... Um, influence of Afro-Caribbean tradition throughout the years, not just in, in, in music and dance, but also specifically in work. You know, we're looking at labor in the United States and you cannot overlook that element of enslaved African labor that has built this country, right? And and through today. And so, you know, with, with that, I really wanted to intentionally look at like, how do we not only incorporate it theoretically, but like physically, how do we make that happen? And so I worked with um, a good friend of mine and one of the, the lead musicians on this project, Javier Navarrete, who is an, uh, an Afro-Cuban musician. And so I'm going to get a little nerdy rhythm nerd All for good. a second. All good. Um, <laughs> Al Camotel is traditionally set to a rhythm called Café Compan, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is essentially a 6-8 if you're a musician or maybe a dancer out there and know what that means. And I wanted to connect that rhythm with an Afro-Cuban rhythm called bembe, which is also a 6-8. And so what, what's happening, rather than having harana and different the, tradition, the other traditional stringed instruments, is we incorporated the Afro-Cuban instruments as the backdrop of El Camotal, right? And so you have the traditional son jarocho verso, you have the zapateado, you have the quijada, which are elements of, of, of the son jarocho tradition. But then on the other hand, you have it layered on top of the bembe rhythm, which are three shakeres. A shakere is a um, a gourd. It's it's what you hear at the, you know, the the bead, the the shaking, the shaker instrument sound is is a gourd with beads on it. Um, it's three of them playing different rhythms, right? And then under that, in part of the song, you have the congas, right, which are all um, playing Afro-Cuban rhythms. And so that element was was really important um, to include and and make it intentional, right? It felt like like it was really serving the purpose of the song and serving the purpose of the story and the history and of everything going back into it, you know. And, you know, every all the other pieces had a similar story. All of them will be just as long. So I will not go into all of them because there, it was really important to be intentional about how we incorporated these different these different rhythms, you know, these different um, 
choreographic languages because it does it does go from tap dance to sapleado to you know one of the pieces um that is called la colectiva is an afro-caribbean fusion piece um that incorporates afro-haitian movement afro-brazilian movement afro-cuban movement right you know all of these were were really intentionally thought out and we actually sat down and thought about why and how and where for each of the pieces but you know it, it was a process of working with uh javier navarrete who i just mentioned in in what rhythms are we laying with this you know the way that my brain tends to work is i develop the dance rhythms first i don't hear i hear that first and then usually what percussive rhythm or what kind of song or, or what what are we layering with this right so for example the final piece la colectiva that dance choreography was created as an acapella tap piece and then after working with Javier Navarrete we talked about the theme of it we talked about the purpose that piece is specifically looking at the collective joy and resistance of grassroots organizations that grew out of um, the exclusion of farm workers and laborers from different labor relations acts throughout history, right? And so that part, looking at that, talking about the narrative, actually listening to the rhythm of what we were playing with our feet, right? We came up with this idea of incorporating an Afro-Puerto Rican rhythm, um, a bomba rhythm called Olande, you know, looking at Olande and, and bomba and the tradition of plena, which is a, a handheld you know, drum and and its connection to to the farm, to farm working, to working the caña fields, you know. And so that was where that intentionality there came in um, for that final piece. Yeah, the rhythm really carries the film. And I also have to say the sound mix is spectacular, not only in terms of how crisply the sound was captured and it's like it sounds crisp, yet it doesn't sound sterile. Like it doesn't sound like it was foleyed in a studio and that goes for both the sound of the dancing and the interviews and as someone who's filmed in Half Moon Bay that is no small feat <laughs> there are uh, two highways right there there's a lot of machinery um, I'm very interested was all the sound captured on location yeah this is a question we get a lot it was all captured live everything was wow. done live um, we actually were in conversation around a performance and, and someone said, can you just play the recorded music you used in your film? We were like, there's no recorded music. It was all done live. Um, yeah. So I, you know, that I got to, I got to shout out our, our, um, our audio engineer, Jim Choi. I got to shout out our, our sound engineer who did the cleanup after Greg Landau um, and our, our amazing producer and, you know, drone operator and, and, uh, videographer the interviews harry gregory who who really you know they all really brought that to life and and co-director john hoteleanos's um ear and all of that he was the one with the headphones on going through every single sound clip and saying this isn't clear enough we need to fix this you know wow. so it was really it was a process um you know during the interviews harry gregory came out uh, that was filmed separately that those were separate mm -hmm. separate days um earlier in the process um and each person wore a little mic on their on their shirt or on their lapel, right, to capture um, their voice. And during the actual filming, it was it was a process. You know, the audio engineer had a bunch of different channels. I don't know the technical words, but had a bunch of different channels essentially, and had to capture every single instrument on its own channel, right, I, to make a yeah. mix. 
we physically took the tap boards out onto um, the field. And, and, you know, this being shot and, and everything set up in one day, we didn't have time to test. So it was like, what's going to uh-huh. work the best? We tried contact mics on one channel, um, the body mics placed under the tap board on another channel, a big boom mic on another channel, and then, you know, had all of these different options. So that way at the end, we could find what worked the best and, and mix them together um, for the audio. So yeah, the audio part um, was a process. I was not 100% a part of, but I'm so happy about how it all turned out. Yeah, it really helps drive the film and I, can't imagine what it's going to be like in the theater with the surround sound as well. That's going to be quite the experience. Yeah, we're really excited to hear it. Well, Ghostly Labor will screen as a part of our Raising Voices program at the Roxy Theater on Thursday, November 3rd. We can't wait to see our listeners there. And Vanessa, we can't wait to see you there, too. We're so excited. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, we also look forward, uh, co-director John Hotel Leanos and I will be part of the Talkback Q&A session after the screening. So that'll be, that'll be a great time. Dancing Through the Lens is a production of the San Francisco Dance Film Festival. It is produced and hosted by Chris Willette and Claire Schweitzer. Theme music for Dancing Through the Lens was composed by Daria Novo. You can find the San Francisco Dance Film Festival online at sfdancefilmfest.org and in the social media pages linked in the show notes.